Hi everyone, welcome to QCCS Mackay Carter's Change the Game podcast. I'd like to acknowledge the Yui people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. This episode is called How Bad Do You Want It? with Kay Nina. Kay moved to Mackay in 2009 from Ghana and is just about to open his fourth gym here in Mackay. Change the Game, brought to you by the Mackay Cutters. So, Kay, talk to me, mate, um, about the process that you took to move countries and a little bit around, you know, the culture shock you initially experienced. Yeah, I'd really love to hear your story. So thank you for joining me and we look forward to this conversation. It's a pleasure, mate. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the, on the Change Again podcast. It's, um, it's an honor to be here. So, yeah, coming here from Liberia via Ghana, you know, I was born in Liberia. Uh, it's a tiny country on the west coast of Africa. Went through 14 years of civil war, so as a kid I found myself on multiple refugee camps. And uh, in 2009 I had the opportunity to, to come to Australia from, uh, from Ghana, so I lived in Ghana at the time. And how did it come about? Yeah, so mate, this is a story that I, I describe as a miracle. You know, I met an, uh, an Australian senior, a grandma, uh, who upon hearing my story took pity on my situation and was like, um, I can sort of vouch for you to come over here, you know, so let the government know that when you come here, you're not just going to be on the street and you're going to have somewhere to stay. So, uh, so we, we, we got the uh, plan in motion and that was a rigorous process, you know, coming from a refugee camp. So I had to come here on a humanitarian visa. So everything was taken care of by the government, uh, except for my, my plane ticket and stuff like that, which I had to pay for myself. And uh, brothers and sisters? No, nah, just me. So I came here. So you're oh, one of how many though? I come from a big family. Yeah. So my dad had multiple wives. So I got like 17 brothers and sisters. Yeah. But, but it was just so me. Was that, that hard to leave everyone, obviously? Well, at the time, I wasn't living with everyone. So yeah. my family is scattered all over the place. So I was by myself at the time in Ghana. And so it was easy for me to come over here. But yeah, the process itself was rigorous, you know, had to do a lot of tests to make sure that I wasn't bringing any kind of illness over here. There was a lot of anxiety with that as well as to whether or not I was going to be eligible to come over here. Mm. And when I finally got it all clear, it was like a dream come true, a miracle. And, and I got here, you know, life was completely different to what I was used to back in Africa, especially on a refugee camp. You know, things were different here. Life is sort of on a level, social, when we talk about socioeconomic status, you know, it's a lot better than what it was over there. So, but yeah. so, sorry. so you talk about the refugee camp. What are some of the things you're used to or you got used to inside the refugee camp and then coming here and you've um, that culture shock and what are some of the things where you're like, oh, my God, this is either great or not great? Matters the everyday stuff, you know. You in Australia here, you can turn on a tap and get running water. Mm-hmm. It's not like that over there. You can put your clothes in a washing machine and they come out clean. You even have dryers to use. It's not like that over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can flick a switch and you get lights. You know that's. It's not like that over there. So these are things that I moved away from to come here. Like even that, the simple idea of using a dishwasher. You know that's not something that's common on a, on a refugee camp. What's common? It's poverty, you know, illnesses, you know, people struggling, uh, living in makeshift housing, and yeah, education is not as uh, prevalent as it is over here. Like, um, you know, people are unfortunate enough to afford to go to school due to the poverty. Young kids have to go 
and earn money at an early age to be able to have something to eat. I remember, you know, way back there were times that I would go to bed and my only worry would be, what am I going to eat tomorrow? You know, and that's what life's like for most people over there. People sell food on the on the streets and the heads, and moms have their babies on their backs and 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 things like that. So it was a huge culture shock coming here. Uh, where pretty much everyone drives in their own cars and kids here don't know what it feels like to walk to school or run to school, for the majority of them anyway. So, yeah, in terms of culture shock, that's the difference, you know, coming yeah. from a refugee camp and, and experiencing what it's like to be in Australia. So where did your love of um, health and fitness come from? Like, did you always had a, a, a idea that you want to be fit and healthy and would you go on runs, do gym? Yeah, I think... Uh, you know, growing up in Africa, you had no option but to maintain some level of fitness, whether it was running to school or even playing sports. I played basketball, you know, from a young age. Um, so that was always always part of my upbringing, my growing up. So being fit and healthy, and that was a given. And so when I moved here, I made the decision to make it a career, and there was a reason for that. You know, when you grow up in a refugee camp, like I, you know, I made mention to before, you are surrounded by so much helplessness and hopelessness. You know, every day is like the same. So being surrounded by that and experiencing that level of helplessness and hopelessness gave me the genuine passion and desire for helping people mm -hmm. because I knew what it felt like to need help. Like even me being in Australia was as a result of somebody helping me to come here. And so being into health and fitness now, it's a combination of those two passions, knowing what it feels like to need help, wanting to give help to people, and then using that with my love for fitness. So when I first came here, I could go to the gym and train three times a day. And I would even try and fit football training in between that and basketball training. And people would say, you're a freak. And I realized that not many people had that, I know, that drive, that time, that motivation to train. So... For me, it was like, if I could train for people so they could be fit and healthy, I would because I can afford to do that. But unfortunately, fitness is one of those things that you have to earn. You know, you cannot buy it. You can pay for personal training. You can buy a gym membership. You, you cannot buy fitness. You have to earn it. You have to feel that sweat on your brow. And so it came down to, if I'm going to help anybody, you know, experience what I experience, the feelings that I get from being fit and healthy, what's the next best way I can do it? And that was to become a personal trainer and go in, into that field of fitness. And yeah, so that's why we are where we are today. That's one of my biggest drivers, yeah. So did you study that uh, once you got here? The, this, you said th three and fours? And yeah, things. yeah. So I did my studies here uh, while I was here and then went down that path. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Sorry, run me back. How old were you when you um, moved to Mackay? So I was about 28 years old, I think. 28 Yeah, when I moved here. Yeah, obviously a lot changed for you. The biggest change that you remember, like in terms for you know, your, I don't know, did your values change at all? Did your, the way you see the world change, the, your lifestyle? What were the main changes in that period? The opportunities I had, you know, but I didn't have as many opportunities in Africa in a refugee camp as compared to what I had here in Australia. And it made me realize what I had left behind, the lack of opportunities, the many people back there that didn't have the opportunity that I had. And so it made me realize that, and I couldn't take anything for granted, do the best that I can with what I had and uh, in, the, in the space that I found myself. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's part of the reason why I am where I am today, because I know 
what it feels like to come from nothing and have nothing. And I also appreciate having everything that I have now and uh, the opportunities and making the best of everything that I got. So yeah, that, that was the biggest change. Yeah, great. Follow you on your socials. And I uh, saw so that you recently went back, I'm not sure if it was home, but it was where your family is. What was that like? What was like going back? And what are some of the things you, you do miss about home? And, uh, yeah, I went back in 2017. That was the first time I went back after eight years of living in Australia. And it was the most peaceful time I had. You know, it was a feeling of being back home and of being surrounded by you know, family and friends that I hadn't seen for a long time. And just seeing you know, how difficult life is over there compared to over here. But it was also beautiful to see that you know, on a social economic status level, people are poor, they're, they're struggling day to day. But it also had the brightest smiles on their faces, you know. We have everything we have here, but with that comes a level of stress and anxiety and commitment to work and uh, commitment to bills and all that. Whereas they just have to wake up the next day and take that day one day at a time and they still have the brightest smile. So being there, seeing where I came from and seeing what I now have here, it just, you know, it was the biggest driver for me and like even impacted my business on a whole nother level. I was going through a stage in business at a time where I had to make a very big decision as to what the future of the business was going to be. Predominantly, I was doing a personal training business. My income was based on me selling my time to people. So that meant, you know, there's only a few hours in a day, you know, 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. Those were the hours that I had to work. I recently had a young kid at the time. He was two years old. So it was like, Man, I cannot keep doing you know five a.m. to eight p.m. every day. When they kids start, when this kid starts going to school, I'm barely going to see him. So then it was like, what do we do with the business? You know, we were at that crossroads where it's like, what's the step you're going to take? And for me, naturally, it was to transition from you know a time-based business where it was my time for dollars to a subscription model. But the numbers at the time didn't add up for what we wanted to do, we're trying to make a move. So going back home and seeing that trip, and when I go back, I was like, look, you know what? What's the worst that could happen here? You know, in Africa, people don't live on Centrelink and they live every day. Here, the worst that could happen if I failed in business, I end up on Centrelink for a little while until I can get back on my feet. So in that sense, I really had no fear and I made a move, even though the numbers didn't add up and it ended up being the biggest move with the greatest reward in business. Definitely. Now you've been in business for 11 plus years, uh, 11 to 12 years in the so your gym business. Mm. Talk me through some of the biggest challenges. You know, you just talked through a little bit there, but some of your biggest challenges, but also your biggest achievements that you've seen and grown. Yeah. So at the time, the biggest challenge was, you know, making that decision, you know, go from, you know, business being one-on-one personal training, one-on-one time for, for money to, you know, going to a subscription model selling more gym memberships and uh, where it was less dependent on my time. At the time, that was the biggest decision, but it was also the most rewarding decision once once we pulled it up. But the biggest challenge since then, you know, as you know, and the whole world has experienced, we went through coronavirus. And the world is, so, is in such a way that when you ignore basic principles, there are natural consequences. Like if you're in business and you're rude to your customers or you don't deliver on what you stand for, there can be failure attached to that. But when you have to close your business, when you have to close your doors through no fault of your own, that was tough. And we had to you know, go through that in March of 2020. 
where my business was on a trajectory where it was, you know, rising, peaking, and then all of a sudden, boom, the doors were shut. I had Makai and Marion James at the time. I had just opened Marion in October of 2019, expanded Makai Gym from a 330 square meter space to a thousand square meter space in November. So back to back, we had a big move in business. Unfortunately, things were looking up for us. And then all of a sudden, through no fault of our own, we had to shut doors. And that was, that was gut-wrenching. That was tough. That was really tough. And then gyms reopened, but um, once the gyms reopened, we had another layer of challenge that, that was ongoing, you know, dealing with restrictions. People didn't want to come to gyms because they didn't want to have to deal with all the restrictions. Some people didn't want to get vaccinated. Some people didn't want to be in a space where they could risk getting the virus. And you had all these things. And, you know, as a business owner, you don't really talk about these things much to people, but it heavily weighs on you. You know, when you go to bed at night, these are things that you think about. And, uh, that's what I was dealing with. That was my world, you know, um, dealing with the effects and the trauma of all that, you know, COVID. And when the gyms were shut, you know, our gyms is a happy place for our, for our members. And all of a sudden, these people had nowhere to go. You wake up in the morning and go to work, something that you've done for a number of years, and all of a sudden, you can't do it, you know. So it, that was a big challenge. In terms of uh, biggest achievement, um, I always see my achievement in business as the ability to provide a space where everyday people of all shapes and sizes feel welcomed and supported and, you know, and comfortable to train, a space where they feel like they belong. And yeah, just seeing people achieve results that they didn't think was possible before. Just this week on Monday, we had a running class and um, we did a 5K time trial. And one of the members of that class you know, ran a 27-minute 5K. And so just out of curiosity, I asked, what was your first what, your first time trial? What did you do? 55 minutes. So this member had gone from fi running 55 minutes, 5K time trial, now running 27. But not only that, lost 27 and a half kilos. Amazing. So you cannot put a price on that. When you run business, you need money to be able to, you know, stay in business, grow the business. For me, it's, I never went to business to become a millionaire. I know what it feels like to have nothing. And this is why we keep reinvesting into the business because providing that space where people feel like they belong, it's more important to me than keeping profit in the bank or whatever. And that's why we have four gyms today. But yeah, just seeing members achieve amazing results. Money cannot buy that feeling, you know? And that's what I love about what I do. So in terms of achievement, those are great. And then personally, you know, my business has allowed me to live the life that I live. And you know, I have three beautiful children. Uh, they don't have to worry about where their meal is going to come from. They go to school. They have clothes on their backs. I have a car that I drive. I have food that I eat every day. You know, I can afford to travel the world to do things that I enjoy to do. So it's because of business, through business. So I'm very grateful. Well, take me back to those challenges. I'm really interested and curious to understand what was your go-to for you personally to get you through that time, you know, when you're going to bed at night, stressing about those things. What was your go-to to... to get back or not get back on track but to get through that period i just had to go back to where i came from a lot of the times i had to refer back to my childhood growing up in africa what life was like and just sort of have that perspective because i am fortunate enough to see that life can still be worse mm. and you know i could be back on a refugee camp worrying about where my food is going to come from yes covid was here the gyms were shut i still have food on my table every day 
Uh, we were able to still pay staff and things like that. Yes, it was hard that we still had to pay rent, even though we didn't have recurring income coming in because we had to stop our membership. But life generally was still better than what I had seen it before. So it was being having the ability to to see it from both ends. Mm, put a perspective. Put put that perspective in place. That that it's important to be able to look back and look forward and look at the present and go, okay, it could be worse. Yeah, not to downplay the reality of what's happening, but to also realize that, yeah, this could be worse because I've seen it before. I labor to believe that life is only 10% what happens to us. 90% is how we react to it. Our reactions can make it a whole lot worse than what it could be. And also we hung in there. It was tough. I'm not going to lie. It was tough and just adjusting to that. But we got there in the end. We got there in the end. We're in a space now where in the coronavirus, it's almost like it's behind us now. Yeah, business is, business is good. Ever since then, we've opened one gym in Andergrove and we're looking at opening another one in Bukasia this year. So we're doing good. Yeah, good to hear. And so your gym, Muscle Garden, it's a really well-known gym brand in Mackay. Mm. And your tagline or your hashtag is how bad do you want it? Mm-hmm. Or your slogan. So talk me through that. I definitely know you live that because mm. the way way you go about your training and what you want to get out of your your own physical fitness and the goals that you have, you definitely live live that. What does that mean for your gym? What does it mean for everyday people? What does it mean for you? I think the key word in that tagline is you. How bad do you want it? So we go back to saying that fitness, being fit and healthy cannot be bought. It has to be earned. And for me personally, that's a backup to the main saying. So the main saying is it's not where you are in life today that matters. It's where you want to be and how bad you really want to get there. And then the tag is, how bad do you want it? So when I look back on my life, okay, I had been through war. I'd been on multiple refugee camps. I've experienced you know, some difficult times that most people would not comprehend. But here I am today. So then I can go back and say, it's not where you are right now, this present moment in time in your life that matters. It's where you want to be and how bad you really want to get there. And it is this message that has helped me get here. And it's about transferring that, that ideology, that methodology to my members, that inspiration, that motivation that, hey, this is me. I am the owner of your, the gym that you come to. This is where I used to be. This is where I am right now. Yes, I understand you probably have five kilos to lose and it's bugging you. Yes, I understand you have to go to a wedding and you need to fit into that dress. Yes, I understand you're having a really tough time right now. Your, your mind is foggy, but that's not the end of your story because we have to get to the point where we can pull our lives apart and realize that, hey, there is a timeline here. And this present moment in time right now, yes, it may suck. It may be you know, really difficult, but life is long. It's beautiful. I know Michael Jordan is quoted for saying that I never lost a game. I only ran out of time. The beauty of our life is, yes, it is short, but it's still longer than a basketball game. It's still longer than a footy game. And so we still have time. We, let's not compartmentalize our whole lives based on one single experience, on one negative experience. And I say this you know, after recently going through a very traumatic time where I got divorced. And that was tough. When you're going through that, it's important that you face the brutal facts of your reality and deal with the pain. Not in a numbing way, but understanding that sitting with the pain is the fastest way to get over that. But also having the awareness that this is going to pass. Life is long, life is beautiful, and it's going to get better. That's what helped me get through. I was doing some research before our talk, 
yeah. today, and I come across a TEDx talk. You know, yeah. I think it's 2017, might have been 16. In the 2016, yeah, and you did uh, the Whitsunday Anglican School. Anglican School. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. It was recorded, so it's linked to your website. I thought the message in it and behind it was really powerful. And it was around uh, well-being. I think that was the focus of it. But it was also around positivity and using our words, how words, our words yeah, change our lives. Yeah. Language and mm. importance of what you say to people can have can be impactful in negative and positive ways. Absolutely. Yeah, really interested in a little bit more insight into you mentioned a friend said something to you and you know, you know, toughen up or have a teaspoon of cement. And the way that you talked to that around in this talk was really interesting. Mm. So yeah, so that was one of the major culture shocks that I had as well when I came here. And you know, I come, like I said you know, before, I come from a place where people are poor, people you know, don't have the standard of life that we have here. But yet the suicide rate in Makai at the time was a lot higher than anything I would have ever heard of before living back there. But it also, after digging deeper into why it was like that, I realized that it really had nothing to do with the socioeconomic status. It was mainly, it was, it was an illness, a d- depression, anxiety, and, and, and stuff like that. And it's about creating a safe space where we are allowed to be vulnerable, where we can talk about things that, that make us human. But the culture here didn't support that. There is this toxic masculinity. There is this toughen up culture. You're not allowed to be vulnerable. You're not allowed to show the soft side of what makes you human. The heart is not, is not hard. The heart is soft. So it's only natural that we can express our emotions because I believe a human being is just one big ball of emotions. But the space, the environment is not conducive for people to express how they feel. So if you share something that is a little bit soft, People will tell you, oh, you need a teaspoon of cement to harden up, you know, toughen up, toughen up princess. That, that was the language. And, uh, and when I first came here, I had somebody, somebody say to me, toughen up, mate. And to me, that was like, dude, you, you have no idea what it means to be tough. And, you know, ironically, being comfortable enough to share vulnerable stuff, it's a form of toughness because that's not common. In that talk, I talked about how, you know, a friend shared something difficult with me. And as I was relaying this information to another friend and uh, I got really teary and emotional. And, and then I was told, you know, you're a bit of a softy, aren't you? But that was coming from a place where men aren't supposed to be seen to show emotions. And I think this beautiful world that we live in, everything that we have here going forward, we need to change that. And that's why I love the name of this podcast, Change the Game, right? We need to change the game where people are okay to express how they really feel. And, you know, like me talking about, you know, getting divorced and the difficulties that came with that, there needs to be a space where people can talk about that because nobody's talking about that kind of stuff. Hmm. And I tell you what, when you're going through that space, I went through that that environment feeling invisible, not wanting to be seen, you know, because nothing will make you lose your confidence more than going through that. And that's what I felt. But if the space is safe enough for people to talk about it, then we can get help. Then we can get support. Fortunately for me, when I was going through that, I had so many people that I could talk to without feeling of judgment, without somebody saying hard enough or tough enough. I could share with them. And because they could connect with the feeling of what I was feeling, they were able to share with me as well how they felt. So it was a beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we need to 
you know, focus on going forward, you know. Need to relate. Relate, create a space where it's yeah. okay for somebody to be vulnerable and mm. experience uh, and express themselves in a way that that best suits them at the time because there's no right or wrong way. So do you f- from that talk, do you feel like things are, it's 2023 now, do you feel, feel like things are changing around Mackay at least? Or? It's, it's funny that I, I thought that exactly when you mentioned it. I don't hear so much of hiding a princess or get a teaspoon. It could be because I'm too engaged in my world with what I do that I don't, I don't associate so much with environments where that's a common saying anymore. Mm. But I think there is a there is a not not that I think there is definitely a change because there's been more awareness around this uh, creating safe space for people to be vulnerable and talk about issues. Like even the the, the mere fact that we're having this podcast is, is an example that. A lot is being done compared to what it was in 2009 when I moved here or yeah. 2016. A lot is happening right now, and I think it's it's beautiful. Yeah, we just so need true. to get it out there more, more, yeah. and need more people to take it up and, and, and see the importance of it. Yeah, and especially the spaces that you operate in, the gym. Mm. You know, you, that's just a space where you are creating that environment too. So That's exactly that's a right. A lot of positive change. It's mm. really good. I feel like you're taking your training to the next level. You're mm-hmm. running a lot. For people that can't see you or don't know what you look like, it would be worthwhile um, doing a Google search on on Kay <laughs> because he's got a lot of muscles, and but he can also run long distances. So that myth and that stereotype of you can't do both, you can't go to the gym, get strong, and um, run fast or yeah, long. And run fast or long, you can, and you're evidence of that. So you've done some really great marathons or been on some really good experiences and ran at some marathons and the, tell me about the places you've run and tell me about those experiences. Now, last year was a big year of running for me and I think this year is probably going to be as big, probably not as many marathons, but still big. So last year I did Hamilton Island, Hilly Half. That was my first event of the year. Is in May. In June, we did um, Mackay Marina Run here. In July, I did the Gold Coast Marathon, first full marathon for the year. August, I backed that up with Townsville Marathon. So was the Gold Coast one your very first marathon? It was my first marathon. It was my main event for the year. And that was also my PB right now, three hours, 15 minutes. Um, so yeah, like Mitch said, if you don't know, I'm over 90 kilos and I carry less than 10 percent body fat. So yeah, and I'm only 174 centimeters in height. So there's a lot of weight that I'm pushing around. When I run a marathon, so 3:15 was you know, my PB, and I did Townsville in August. September I did uh, Sydney. October I did Melbourne, and then the biggest one was New York City Marathon in uh, November. And then uh, when I got back, I finished the year with a 50k run on the Gold Coast, the GC50. So a lot of running, a lot of running, yeah. and I think it's about you know breaking that stereotype. You know, I can go in the, in the gym and lift heavy weights. I've done that. I know that. But it's also about answering the question, can I get out on the road and run as long as I can and also do it at a faster pace? Because it was never about running. I didn't want to just run. I want to push the body to a limit and see what I can do with what I have. And so running a three-hour, 15-marathon was huge, was huge. Goal to break three? Uh, not at this stage. My goal this year is to do 310. Yeah. And the reason behind that is to help me qualify for Boston next year. Mm-hmm. So... But yeah, running a 310 marathon, it's it's a massive effort. It's a massive effort. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. That's why I'm running. But the whole idea behind me running is 
I don't believe anybody was born with a tag around their neck to say that, hey, you're going to be a cyclist, you're, you're going to be a runner. Yes, genetics play a part in that. That makes you better suited to certain sports. But at the same time, it comes down to how bad do you want it? If you really want to do something and you apply yourself, you get better at it. So yeah, I want people to not avoid running because they think, oh, I'm too big. I cannot run. Or gym is my thing. Or that's not my thing. Yeah, that's fine. If it's not your thing, that's okay. But it is possible if you choose to do it. You know, anything is possible if you want it bad enough. It comes down to how bad you really you really want to do it. So it's about inspiring people. When I run, a lot of people see me run. They go, oh, look at the big guy. Oh, <laughs> So there are people that go, if he can do it, I can do it. Saturday going, I was at Park Run. One of my gym members came there and said, oh, you've inspired me. Now I'm here to beat your time. So I said, cool. It was a joke. But the fact that I had run Park Run and posted it on social media encouraging him to come in and do park run as well. And he was there with his wife. And it's, it's beautiful, you know, to be able to inspire people. Because I, I, I don't believe it's what you achieve as an individual that matters. It's what you are able to inspire other people to achieve. And that's, that's a big driver for me. In those cities that you mentioned, mm. uh, you would have met some, you know, different people along the way. It's one of the really good things about or any fitness community, but especially the running community, about the people you meet. I want to know if you met any interesting characters and also take me inside that 30K mark, 31K, wherever the wall was for you in your first marathon and how did you get through it upstairs? So, yeah, you do meet interesting people, especially in New York. There's one that stands out. There's this guy that runs a whole marathon with a pineapple on his head. <laughs> and funnily enough, I read about him. He did Berlin last year in September and I read about him on, on Facebook through an article. And then I went to New York and, and I got to meet him. So I took a photo of him because I think it's funny that somebody would run a whole marathon with a pineapple sitting on t- flat on top of their heads. And uh, that was quite interesting. But yeah, doing my first marathon on the Gold Coast in July last year, leading up to the marathon, that whole week it rained on the Gold Coast. And the only day that it didn't rain was that Sunday of the marathon. And so I'm there running. I was full of confidence here about going from Mackay where I had just won the 30K road and a race here, averaging 426 pace for 30 kilometers. And I'm thinking I'm good. Uh, get into the marathon because I knew it was 12Ks more than 30Ks. I needed to go conserve some energy. So I was running at um, a slightly slower pace, 434, 435 pace. But because it had rained the whole time leading up to Sunday, the humidity was quite thick. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous. The humidity was very high. And so I ran 25Ks, no worries. When I got to 25Ks, I started cramping up. And obviously because I carry a fair bit of weight and I lose a lot of sweat when it's hot. So I lost a lot of sweat. I lost a lot of salt with that sweat. And I was depleted of electrolytes, so I started cramping up. And so for 25Ks, I had the best running, you know, that I could have done. And then 17Ks uh, more than that, it was struggle street. And so when you when you run the marathon, I believe the marathon really starts after the 30K mark. Those last 12Ks is where it's at. So I pushed through and got the 30, and then the last 12Ks, it was just survival mode. Were you walking at all or was it still able to run? I didn't walk, so that was a good thing. So I struggled, got, yeah, I, struggled, I struggled for 17Ks and still managed to run 3 hours 15 mm. marathon. But it's testament to the Gold Coast Marathon. Like I've done a few big marathons in Australia. The course is beautiful. There's people lined up all along the way. So people are constantly cheering you on, pushing you on. And so even though my pace slowed down drastically, 
I was still able to keep moving because there were people that cheering. Adrenaline. And, and yeah, the adrenaline just uh, pushing through. And But yeah, a marathon really starts after 30 Ks. Yeah, yeah, that's how I feel. A lot of people hit the wall and it varies at different stages when you hit the wall. I've been fortunate enough to not hit that wall because that wall can be quite brutal. You see people drop to the ground completely. I've seen it in all the marathons I did last year and it's not nice. Especially in New York, it's the biggest marathon in the world to see somebody drop two Ks before the finish line. It's not pleasant. So No, it's not. Yeah. And you do see it a bit and it's because people are trying to push the limits. Mm. Yeah. B to PB and yeah, so what are some goals for you moving forward? So yeah, for me, um, moving forward in business, you know, we got Muscle Garden Bukesia to open. We're hoping to open that in April this year. This year I'm focusing on three full marathons. So in April, I got London Marathon to do. In July, I got Gold Coast. So I'm probably going to do that one each year because it falls around my birthday weekend. And this year is actually on my birthday. So that's a nice birthday present. I know some people think it's a crazy idea to run a full marathon <laughs> on your birthday, but yeah, that's pretty cool for me. And then my main event for this year is Berlin, Berlin Marathon. So I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully I can uh, get my 310, if not on, on my birthday in July. Why, why Berlin? Berlin is the flattest coast in the world. And it holds the world marathon uh, record. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And as a, I'm hoping that'll be my last major event for the year. So everything yeah, cool. is geared towards Berlin. Awesome. But I was still trying and go for it on the Gold Coast if I could go yeah. for that 310 no, go. you have to. Yeah. If I get 310 on the Gold Coast, then I'll be looking for a sub. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Big call. But anyway, we, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, have you been to Germany before? No, I haven't. So I'm quite excited about that. Even going to London this year, I've never been to Europe before. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Go to... Uh, Will you post the marathon? Will you indulge in anything? Do you indulge in anything here? Or, you know, like, will you go and have a pretzel or whatever it is, a, a, pot, a pint of their beer or... Not really, but I think when I go to Berlin, I don't know if I should actually say this. <laughs> I don't I don't usually indulge in things, but I think uh, if I go to Berlin, I might go to Oktoberfest and uh, just experience the culture. That's what it's going to be like. I don't normally drink, but I have control over what I eat and what I drink. You know? So when you get to that point in life, it is a beautiful space because you're not controlled by the food that you're eating. Rather, you control the food that you eat. So... I can choose to have a beer and leave it at that, whereas somebody else will have a beer and it'll turn into a cotton, you know? So, mm. so yeah, I'm looking forward to immersing myself into the culture, you know, in, in London, see what it is about. And Berlin, I don't usually eat pizza, but when I went to New York, I tried the New York, you know, New York pizza because you're in New York. And so somebody listening to this, that's not an excuse for you to go in. <laughs> Was it pretty good? <laughs> really nice. Yeah. Really nice. Really nice. I, I wouldn't know the difference to here, but yeah, it's a thing you're doing in New York. So Yeah, nice. Well, yeah. Uh, Prost, you'll definitely enjoy Oktoberfest. Uh, yeah, you've done it before? Yeah, I've yeah. done it before. It's okay. time of your life. Well, it was one time of my life when I yeah. was at okay, So you, um, hopefully you have a really good marathon and you get to have a, a, a pint of whichever beer, German beer um, yeah. tent you get into. So cool. it's, it's pretty hard to get into the tents, but that's another story. Okay. Yeah, well, all the best, Kay. It's been really good insight through some of the points we've talked on today. And probably another one we'll, we'll finish with is your, the partnership with the Cutters. We've just um, come on board and, and partnered up. You're our official gym partner, yeah. uh, Muscle Garden. And uh, welcome to the family 
and Mackay Cutters sponsored family. It's been really good to have you on board and Thanks, I'm sure mate. we're going to have a really good partnership going forward. But yeah, give us a little bit of insight into what it means for you to be partnered with the Cutters. Mate, it, it means a lot. And uh, as I just began to answer this question, I just had a, like a shock run through my uh, body, like goosebone type thing. Because when I first started Muscle Garden, I was just, you know, a PT working in parks around town here with clients, trying to get the business off the ground. And way back then, you know, I had this thing, how cool would it be to get to work with the biggest sporting club in town? Um, 10 years later, we were able to pull that off last year to be, you know, partners with you guys. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's another major achievement in business, you know, to be able to do that. Because my thing that I believe in business, I do a lot of partnerships with a lot of different places that we align with. And it's based on the belief that if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. And it's about aligning yourself with people in a community that help to make the community better. And, you know, so recreational activity where people go and watch the sport and watch you guys play it enriches life. It helps to make life better. We live here having things to do, entertainment, it's, it's very important. And if we can help in any way to make sure that that happens, then that's great. And you guys have our signage there. We have a corporate box. So that helps our members as well. So they can go and watch the game and not have to worry about buying tickets. So it's hand in hand. Very proud to be partners with you guys and look forward to a long working relationship. Yeah, so so we okay. Look forward to seeing you down at the stadium watching some Cutters games and, and looking members. forward to it. So looking forward to it. Bring on twenty season twenty twenty three. Let's do it. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guy. Thank you. Change the game. Brought to you by the Mackay Cutters.